You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. This is Randy Bolander. Glad to be with you today. Grab your Bible. Here we go. Hold on just a minute. Because we have a major situation on our hands. On our hands. I don't know if I'd call it a major situation. I'd call it a good situation. My good situation is that I am home. I am so excited to be home. I had a fantastic weekend. I was gone. Uh, I flew out on Saturday to Houston, and uh, Saturday night got to connect with a longtime college friend, Greg Long, who's on staff at Woodlands Church. It was a blast to see him. I haven't seen him in over 20 years. Uh, We had a great time in college. We both went to Trinity or started at Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota. When people hear that you went to school at Trinity, they assume Trinity Seminary in um, Chicago. It was not that Trinity, and it was not Chicago. It was in Ellendale, North Dakota. You don't know where it is, probably. It's southeastern part of the state. 400 students in a town of about 800 people, I think, at the time, ballpark. All that to say is there wasn't much except for the college. And you would think that would be boring. It was actually completely the opposite. It was the most creative, fun place because there was no fun to be had if you didn't make it. And so uh, a lot of creative people there, and we just had a blast. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed getting to see Greg again. I spoke at um, Freedom Church in Magnolia Sunday morning with Richie and Jess Clark. That was fun to be back with them, longtime friends as well, from way back in the uh, Justice House of Prayer days in D.C., um, I, I was went to Texas. I preached. I did not make jokes about Texas this time. I learned my lesson last time. Last time I preached in Texas, I think um, uh, Richie actually warned me. It was a different place, but he said he said don't don't make fun of Texas. They don't they don't like that. And he was right. I don't want to talk about how I learned that, but he was right. Anyway, it was good to be back with good friends, and it was good to laugh. I believe that the uh, the message has been posted. If you go to YouTube and you can look at Freedom Church Magnolia, you will find it there. Uh, A lot of it was adoption stories, just spoke about God's heart as a father. It's a message I've shared before, but if you've missed it and want to find it there, look for Freedom Church Magnolia, Texas on YouTube, and it is all there. If you have your Bibles today, grab them quickly and turn to the book of Colossians, which is what we are going to dive into. And uh, interesting little passage today. Colossians 1, 15 to 23, and I'm not going to read it all at one point. We will, we'll read it all during the course of the morning, but, but not all at once. You know, it's interesting. God is love, and God is kind, but God does not share, just does not share very well at all, particularly when it comes to his son or when it comes to glory. He does not share. And in our coexist culture, God is jealous for the person of Jesus. He's not jealous of him. He's jealous for him. He wants Jesus to get all of the accolades and the respect and the honor and the glory that he has coming. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this, and it's one of the problems that is going on in the church there in Colossae, which is they are uh, disregarding Jesus to a certain extent. And so Paul takes some time there in this first chapter, verses 15 to 23, and he makes it really clear about who Jesus is. 
Now, there's a lot going on here, and I'm going to kind of give you a framework for how to study it. But just a quick interesting aside, a lot of scholars believe that in this passage, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, is actually a quote from a hymn of the early church. Now, that can't be proven. There's some pros, some cons, but there is some reason to believe that the Apostle Paul quoted a song that they would often sing in the church of that day for those first five verses. That makes some of you very nervous. It makes you feel like, ah, is this the Bible? Is it not? Because he quoted something else. It's so funny. Musicians can play a cover, can't they? They can play somebody else's song. It's considered uh, a tribute or it's considered honoring someone. Preachers can't preach a cover. That's called plagiarism. That's called stealing other people's material. But Scripture does quote outside sources a number of times. So this could be actually a song that they sang in their services. Uh, most obvious place where Scripture quotes outside sources would be Acts 17, uh, around verse 28, where they are preaching in the city of Athens. And the preacher says, For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. In that passage, the first part of the verse comes from a poet whose name was Epimedius. And the second part comes from a hymn to the god Zeus, written by another poet called Aratus. Now, both of those lines were probably written to Zeus in Greek literature, but Paul applied them to the creator at that point. So it's not unheard of that Paul would quote other sources. But it's not real obvious, but it could be in this case. So this morning, as we look at uh, verses 15 to 23, we're going to do a little bit of a different format here because there's so much information crammed in this. Uh, we are going to do things you need to know about Jesus. You know, it's almost like a BuzzFeed article. BuzzFeed had all, all these informative articles like uh, three things you need to know about Canada. As if you went to Canada and you didn't know these things, something would go wrong. Three things to know about Canada. Uh, number one, gravy on fries. Uh, number two, don't mention Wayne Gretzky to anybody over 50. They're still upset about that. And number three, if you can't read the KFC bucket, turn it around. English is on the other side. That's all you need to know about visiting Canada. So instead of three things to know about Canada, here Paul gives us five things to know about Jesus. And there's a lot more packed in here, but this will give you a framework to study it from. First thing to know about Jesus is Jesus is God's physical manifestation. Colossians 1, 15, he writes, he is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He crams so much into just a short little sentence here. There are two sets of layered meanings here, actually. First of all, when he says he is the image of the invisible God, that word image has two connotations. It means uh, his likeness and his manifestation. In other words, Jesus is what God looks like in behavior. If you want to know about the character of God, study the character of Jesus. Study how he walked. Study how he conducted himself. He is the image of God. But he is also the manifestation of God. He is what God is doing actively. And in Jesus, God becomes knowable. Of course, how do you know anyone? You know them in context of a relationship. It's one of the dangers of instant communication and social media is we think we know people, but we don't really know them. 
You ever met somebody in real life that you've known on Twitter and you're like, you are not nearly as clever when you are given unlimited words or unlimited ability to communicate. But we only know people in real relationship, and we only know God in context of relationship with Jesus. He is God's likeness and manifestation in image. Now, the same verse goes on to call him the firstborn of all creation. That itself has two meanings. It talks about being firstborn in time and in priority. In time, in that there was none before Jesus. He's not called Jesus less than God. If anything, he's equating him with God, being the firstborn, being there from the beginning. Hebrews 1.6 calls him firstborn into the world. Revelation 1.5 calls him the firstborn of the dead. In Romans 8, Paul calls him the firstborn among many brethren. He was there from the beginning, but there is an expectation that many will follow. Many will follow into the world. Many will follow being raised from the dead. He will have many brothers and sisters, but he was first in time. He was also first in priority, meaning he has no equals. There are none like him. He is the premier one. This is why it doesn't work to add Jesus as an accessory to your life. You can't just add Jesus to your full life and have a fuller life. No, you empty your life and you let Jesus take every part of it because he is the firstborn. He has the priority. He has all access. You know, I told you last week that we have added a puppy to our household, and what an education that has been. There has been a lot of learning going on, not much by the puppy, but mostly by us. And we have learned that there are places in the home the puppy should not go. We'll just leave it at that. And so we have a little barrier so the puppy can't go into the living room. And of course, you know where the puppy wants to go, into the living room. Doesn't matter what's going on in the kitchen. Dog wants to go in the living room doesn't even know what to do when he gets in the living room. She just gets in there and looks around and says, huh. But she doesn't have all access. You can't cordon Jesus off in part of your life. He is firstborn in priority. He has no equals. He has all access to your life, or he doesn't have access to your life at all. So the first thing that Paul tells us, first thing you need to know about Jesus is Jesus is God's physical manifestation in image and in being the firstborn. Second thing he tells us is that Jesus predates creation. That's a really important point. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's being really clear here that Jesus is not a created being. Now, does that really matter to people? I mean, nobody argues that he was created, do they? No, but they elevate created beings to Jesus's level by comparing him to other thinkers. Jesus is not a counterpoint to Gandhi or Confucius or Martin Luther King or any other thinker or teacher. What did those three have that Jesus did not? A permanent grave. One writer said that Christ is more central to the universe than gravity. 
that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He has been there from the very beginning. There's something about history and having been there from the beginning that gives a person or a group authority. Years ago, I was preaching in Alaska, and I met a guy at another event. I wasn't, wasn't preaching at this event, but he had been a part of a home group that had grown disgruntled with their church, and so they split off from their church. And they kind of floated for a while, and they decided that they needed to associate with something somewhere, and they wanted to associate with something that had a bit of history. And so this small home group took it upon themselves to become Russian Orthodox, which struck me as an odd decision to make, but that's what they did. But you can't just decide to be Russian Orthodox. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to get the approval of the Russian Orthodox Church. And so after a series of years and lots of paperwork and lots of visits, they went over to Russia and were recognized as a Russian Orthodox Church. And this guy tells me now, now keep in mind that two years before this, he was a part of a disgruntled small group. And it's the same group. But he tells me now with great pride, our apostolic succession goes back to 988 AD under Vladimir the Great. Now, I'm thinking, yeah, but a couple of years ago, you were just a disgruntled small group. And I should have just walked away, but of course, that's almost beyond my ability. And I told him, well, I grew up Pentecostal, and we trace our roots to the upper room, so we've got like 950 years on you guys. The point being, just because we were older than him, you know, what weight did that carry? Jesus predates all of us and all of our groups and all of our associations and all the things we're proud of. And therefore, he has authority over all of those created things. The verse goes on to say he's got authority over all thrones and dominions, rulers, or authorities. The Colossians heresy had a really elaborate angelology, if you will. They had all of this uh, intricate ideas of how the angels were structured. And the truth is, we don't know that much about angels from the Bible. We know a little, but not a lot. What we do know is that Jesus predates and therefore has authority over all of those things. So Jesus is the physical manifestation of God's presence. He predates creation. The third thing you've got to know about Jesus from this passage is that Jesus is authoritative. He's authoritative. He's got the answers. Nobody really argues Jesus's existence. That'd be foolish. There's too many records and too many uh, stories and too many things written down that prove that he lived. But what they often do is diminish his authority. And sometimes we diminish his authority simply by being a little bit too familiar with him. We've made friendship with Jesus make us feel like he's a peer, maybe a little bit better than us, but he's definitely one of us. I don't know how to break this to you. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's not your homeboy. He's not your boyfriend. Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, from the very beginning, there's always been authority arguments in the church from day one, actually from before day one. In Mark 10, starting in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Boy, that's bold, isn't it? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. He's like, Jesus, when this all comes down, we want to have great authority in your kingdom. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? In verse 39, they don't even bat an eye. They just say, we are able. Now, we know now what they didn't know then, that they really were not able, that they were only able through his grace, that he had authority that they could never presume to have because he was preeminent. He was the firstborn from the dead. Not only authoritative, but there was a sign there that there was more that would be born from the dead, but they would not be first. He is leading the way for all of us. If you have lost loved ones who knew the Lord, they will follow Jesus one day. He was the firstborn from the dead, but they'll follow, and so will you. Death is not a period at the end of the sentence. It is a comma, but it is only a comma because Jesus went before us and has the authority to break off death. The fourth thing that we pick up from this passage of the five would be that Jesus is fully God. Now, again, we're reading some of these and you're thinking, well, are these all that controversial? There are people that argue that he was not. I've had people tell me, well, you know, even Jesus never said he was God, except that he did. He didn't say it that way, but he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus did claim to be God. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, where we're studying 19 and 20, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Because of the nature of God, only God can open the door to peace with God. You don't bang on that door and knock it down without some help. No other sacrifice was going to be able to do this. If a goat or a calf could have reconciled us, we would have long been reconciled. But because he was fully God, he had full power in the body of a man to be sacrificed and give us access to God. Now, there is a heresy. There's a part of Gnosticism that says that Christ's body was not human, but it was a phantom or it was of celestial substance, that he didn't really suffer and die because he really wasn't physical. He was an apparition. None of that is true. He was a man. He was fully God at the same time. He suffered and he died a human death and rose from the dead. He really has the authority over that. The fifth thing that Paul writes in this passage that we need to know about Jesus and this is the one that is sometimes hardest to believe, is that Jesus is actively pursuing us. Because it feels a little bit like if you believe these other things about Jesus, that he's authoritative, then he predates everything, he's the most important thing in the world, what would he want to do with us? Why would he even look our way? But in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present to you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul lays it out there. He is coming after us. God in a human body that has endured all things, empowered by the same Holy Spirit that he wants to empower us, actively pursues a relationship with us. Jesus is better and more complete and more miraculous than any of us have ever imagined. You will never know everything about him. One day we'll stand before him and we will stand amazed and say, I, we, I have no idea how wonderful he is. I had no clue how magnificent he is. But Paul goes out of his way in this first chapter of Colossians and lays it out and said, he is authoritative. He was here from the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. And in, I don't want to say in spite of, but maybe because of, he is all of those things. It is all that much more miraculous that he is coming after each one of us with a heart for reconciliation, that we would know him and we would follow him in his path of raising from the dead. Hope you have a great day. Take this passage, unpack it, those few verses, and ask Jesus, what is it that you want me to know about you that I've really never thought about in a long, long time? Have a great day. I'll talk to you next week on the third cup of coffee.